really appreciate that. Um, I wanted to, before we begin in the book of Hebrews, uh, or continue in the book of Hebrews this week, uh, just uh, a, a quick word of welcome to anyone who might not be here in the room with us at the moment. Uh, I was reminded this week and even this morning, um, it, it's, it's easy to think in a post-COVID world that there is no more online presence. We're all here in, in person, and yet uh, we, there was someone as part of our online community that passed away this week. Uh, we grieve her life, and, um, and we also know that there are others that watch regularly and faithfully and cannot make it for one reason or another. Uh, and so I, I never know which camera is on, but welcome, welcome, welcome to you that are watching with us online. Uh, we, we understand uh, that there are many reasons why you may not be able to be with us, but we think of you and we uh, are praying for you and with you and, and worshiping with you as well. Uh, and so a special welcome to you. Um, as we continue in the book of Hebrews, I want to do something uh, a little bit different this morning. Uh, we are looking at this big idea of uh, Jesus is better than anyone or anything we could ever possibly worship. And this morning, as we look at the first part of Hebrews chapter 10, I want to talk about the power of remembrance. And it comes a little bit in a timely place in the calendar, as I'm thinking a lot about remembrance this week and this next week. Um, and, and so I wanted to, yes, look at Hebrews 10, um, but also it's going to be part um, personal reflection today a little bit. Um, some, own, some of my own personal musings on things that have uh, been going on, if you'll permit me. Uh, and if you won't, I mean, what are you going to do about it? So, uh, But um, turn with me, if you would, to Hebrews chapter 10, and we're going to be looking at just the first half. Um, and so we will read now Hebrews 10, verses 1 through 18. I am reading in the ESV, um, as, uh, so reflect on this with me, if you would. Verse 1, for since the law has but a shadow of the good things to come, instead of the true form of these realities, it can never, by the same sacrifices that are continually offered every year, make perfect those who draw near. Otherwise, would they not have ceased to be offered, since the worshipers, having once been cleansed, would no longer have any consciousness of sins? But in these sacrifices, there is a reminder of sins every year. For it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. Consequently, when Christ came into the world, he said, Sacrifices and offerings you have not desired, but a body have you prepared for me. In burnt offerings and in sin offerings, you have taken no pleasure. And then I said, Behold, I have come to do your will, O God, as it is written of me in the scroll of the book. When he said above, you have neither desired nor taken pleasure in sacrifices and offerings and burnt offerings and sin offerings, these are offered according to the law. Then he added, behold, I have come to do your will. He does away with the first in order to establish the second. And by that will, we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ 
once for all. And every priest stands daily at his service, offering repeatedly the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God, waiting from that time until his enemies should be made a footstool for his feet. For by a single offering, he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. And the Holy Spirit also bears witness to us. For after saying, this is the covenant that I will make with them, after those days, declares the Lord, I will put my laws on their hearts and write them on their minds. And then he adds, I will remember their sins and their lawless deeds no more. Where there is forgiveness of these, there is no longer any offering for sin. This is God's word. God, I pray that you would open up our minds and our hearts, that we would be transformed and changed, that you would make us more like your son, Jesus. Not so that we know more, or that we can puff ourselves up with knowledge, or that we uh, have some club that we're in because we're sanctified, but so that we would be transformed to do and to teach all that you said and to be your hands and feet this week as we live. We pray it all in the name of Christ. Amen. Um, we, we continue today kind of looking at this idea of the new covenant and why it's better than the old covenant and what this old covenant was. And he starts, the author, starts with namely what the old covenant wasn't. And we've talked about this a little bit. A couple weeks ago, I had, I had a, a slide that was like, you know, the law was never meant to make us right with God. The law was never meant to atone for our sins. And, and the author makes this clear in these first verses as, as he kind of talks about this law, the tabernacle, the sacrifices. We've been talking about the, the day of atonement and this annual sacrifice to, you know, this, this idea of atonement for sin. And yet, it does not take away our sins. The author is very clear. The blood of bulls and goats, it's impossible for them to take away sins. In fact, he says the law, which was but a shadow, can never make perfect those who draw near. And so it kind of begs the question a little bit, what, what is the law good for? But, you know, I, I want to reflect on this just for a moment, this idea that the law and following God's law cannot make us perfect, that the old covenant, the Mosaic covenant about which the author is speaking, does not actually atone us. And he even mentions this uh, in, in where he says, God is not interested, nor does he take pleasure in sacrifices and offerings and burnt offerings and sin offerings. In fact, we can even think about our own offerings. And I don't just mean money, although that certainly could be the point. But all of the things that we bring here and we offer up to God, our time or our song or even in the way that we take communion and fellowship with others... <laughs> Do we think that God needs that? Do we think that he, you know, he, he needs us to sing and that's helpful for him? 
it's as absurd as the author pointing out, do you think that God needs that blood? Do you think that it's the, the offering, the sacrifices? Do you think that is what he is interested in? No, we should always stop and reflect and know that God is far more interested in the heart behind our sacrifices than the offerings themselves. And we should always be aware of this, lest we put our trust in all of the stuff that we are doing here on a Sunday or elsewhere within the community of faith. And there is not a dollar given or a minute volunteer, a song sung, or even a sermon preached that God needs. It is not in any of those things that we do that cleanse us or make us uh, our sin atoned for. Even in what Dave just said regarding communion, there's a way to do this that doesn't honor God. And we see that throughout not just this text, but in the Old Testament as well. The book of Isaiah opens with God kind of letting everyone know, I am not happy with the way that you have been doing things. Even though, sure, you've been doing the sacrifices and everything. And he says this in verse 13 of Isaiah chapter 1. Bring no more vain offerings. Incense is an abomination to me. New moon and Sabbath and the calling of convocations. He's, excuse me, he's talking about the different kinds of worship and feasts and, and times that they would come and gather and, and make offerings. I cannot endure iniquity and solemn assembly. I'm sick of it. I'm sick and tired of you guys coming and doing this year after year, and your heart isn't in it. It's an abomination to me, he says. And we need to examine a little bit of why is it that we are doing these things or giving these things or participating in this way. It is not because God needs us to sing to him. We need to examine our hearts in a way that says, what is my heart behind what I am giving, this offering, this sacrifice that I offer up to my God this morning? And so what is the purpose of the Mosaic Law? What is the purpose of these offerings of this old covenant? I think the key and the heart of the matter is found in verse 3. But in these sacrifices, there is a reminder of sins every year. A reminder of sins every year. The Day of Atonement was not about actually atoning for sins, but highlighting the need for atonement. These offerings, year by year, serve as a reminder. And it's an interesting word, or at least it, it, it's an ordinary word, but it's an interesting tense that the author uses. There are only two other times in all of Scripture that he uses this word. Maybe, probably, if you have the ESV or another version in front of you, like mine, it says reminder. But if you have an older version, like the ASV or the King James Version, your version will say remembrance. It is a remembrance of our sins. And think about that. Every year, Israel was commanded to gather together and do this thing that reminded them of their sins, that reminded them they need atonement. It reminded them that blood was coming that would satisfy, that would atone for their sins. And that was what they had faith in, and we'll talk about that in the weeks to come. 
And here's where I want to shift a little bit and talk about this need for remembrance and, in fact, the power of remembrance. It's a very important tool and an important practice for us as people of faith to, on occasion, regularly have a practice of remembrance. And it is a powerful, powerful thing. We need remembrance because, quite frankly, we are silly and fickle creatures who are constantly forgetting what God has done for us, forgetting what has gone before, and always screwing things up. And all throughout the Bible, God is giving people tools for remembrance, even in the way that he says, listen, listen this great thing that I've done, I want you to remember it. In fact, build a pile of stones so that when your children and their children and their children look and go, hey, what's the pile of stones about? You remember and you go, oh, this is when God was faithful. And it's important for us, even culturally, to do this. And I've been thinking a lot about this in the last week, and especially in the week ahead, we think a lot about remembrance. You'll notice I'm wearing a poppy. We are, I don't know if this is, if we can advance the slide, but um, we celebrate this every year when we look at remembering those that have gone before us and sacrifice something, and that is what we're meant to do when we wear this poppy and we remember, oh, yep, and we remember what it is that they have done for us. Um, the power of remembrance. And I, I particularly uh, like this practice. It reminds me of where I grew up in England and wearing the poppy every year to remind ourselves. Um, even today, uh, it, speaking of England, is a date to remember. Where are my Brits at? I know I have some over here. Remember, remember the 5th of November. Why are we supposed to remember it? The Gunpowder, treason, and plot. I know of no reason that gunpowder treason should ever be forgot, Tim, but it's, it, it doesn't quite work. But anyway, I grew up, every year we had a big bonfire and we got to burn an effigy guy. It's a whole other thing. But the, the thing was, here's this little rhyme so that you don't forget this thing that has happened. Even this past week on Wednesday, we looked at all Saints Day. All Saints Day is meant to be a time where we remember those that have gone before us, those that have run a race, that have been faithful to Jesus, and have left behind a legacy and an example for us to follow. And I, I every year try to sit and reflect on those saints that have gone before us, on those people that I want to be more like because they're like Jesus. And reflecting on that. And most years, and this year is no exception, there is someone that I like to think of. Um, but before I do that, I, I realized I skipped a part, but um, we have a weird way of remembering things. <laughs> memory is a funny thing. Uh, money, memory, uh, is, is one of those things that we, we sometimes have a hard time with and can't quite get our, our minds wrapped around. And sometimes there are things that we desperately want to remember and can't seem to. 
Um, I, if you introduced yourself to me in June or July, I, I am sorry. I know I should remember your name. I, I might need a reminder. <laughs> I'm trying desperately to remember names. Or maybe there are things that you would very much like to forget and somehow they keep coming back to, to memory. Um, I, I often think, you know, it's like that cringeworthy thing that I did one time when I was 15 and somehow every now and then that comes to mind and I'm like, oh, why can't I just forget that? I can say with full confidence, my wife remembers my cell phone number from 12 years ago in Germany. The reason is because I came up with a silly little song with actions that go with it to remember that, that phone number. And we were talking about remembering things this week, and um, my son, Kasi, whom we're told is, uh, uh, has an unusual name, um, but uh, I, Kasi is, um, he's our sentimental son. He, he wants to remember things in a deep, abiding way. And we were talking this week uh, about somehow this fluke thing of his kindergarten teacher uh, in Nebraska happens to be the exact same age and went to the same school in England that I did for a few years, uh, and our third grade year overlapped. And Kasi was going, oh, and do you remember her? I was like, dude, no. <laughs> I, I have no recollection of who is in my thing. Unless I had a crush on you or you shared your Dunkaroos with me. I don't remember anything from third grade. And it kind of crushed him a little bit to think like, oh, I'm going to forget all of these people. Like, he wants so badly to remember all of his friends and his classmates. And, and it's hard for him knowing, you know what, you, you're going to forget a lot of these people and a lot of these things. And that's why it's important, and we're trying to tell Kasi about this, it's important that we have things that we remember people and events and times by. And so when I think about All Saints Day, I think about someone, a saint, who is very dear to me. There is a man who was born in February of 1912 in southern rural Virginia. And this guy lived a life largely of poverty, who raised children through the Depression and a world war, who had a very difficult time and yet was incredibly faithful, who cared for his older brother that had a, a, a severe developmental disability who died before reaching age 18. In fact, two of his other siblings died. And he was, among many other things, my grandfather, whom we called Papa. And I like to remember him regularly. And I have done things in my life that help me to remember my Papa. This is him at my cousin's wedding uh, many years ago. He's, he's passed away. But Papa was, was a man of tremendous character and faith. And we tell stories about Papa. And I can tell you, even though I wasn't there, I can tell you these amazing stories from his life and the ways that he was incredibly faithful and even like the way that he would open up his home to people. When my aunt was born in the middle of World War II, 
um, there was this huge snowstorm. It was December, and the doctor said he would come only if Papa would come and pick him up on the other side of the mountain. And he did it, and it worked, and he took him back. And as he was dropping the doctor back off, there was a soldier who was stranded, trying to get home for Christmas, had no place to go, and my grandfather just said, hop on in, you're coming to our place. And that was just who he was, opening up his home, and darned if that soldier didn't have the best breakfast of his life either the following day. Um, years later, when uh, my, my grandfather, Papa, was in, in, integral in founding this church, um, and picking out the name of the church, and they would host conferences uh, for the whole denomination. And he had uh, a reputation of being the guy that would just always invite people over. And they, they did not have much, okay? And there was one time that he had invited 10 additional guests at this conference over, seven of them preachers, because he would go up to people and he'd say, hey, do you have a place to stay? And they'd say, well, I'm with brother so-and-so. And he goes, I've already talked to him. He's coming to my place, so you're coming too. 10 extra guests, and my, my dad and, and his siblings have no idea to this day where they put all of these people. My dad and his brothers slept in the car. My aunt slept on the, uh, the couch, the sleeper sofa thing, and they'd put these preachers wherever. And this was a guy who rarely had two nickels to rub together, but when somebody had a need in the church, he, there was someone that, that everyone calls Sister Mabel, that they all remember him giving her this great big hug and saying, those shoes look all worn out. And she said, I know, I need some new shoes, and maybe next year I'll be able to. And he took out a $50 bill, and this is back in the day when that was quite a bit of money, and he said, I want you to get them now. And rarely was there a time that a preacher or a pastor or a missionary came through that he didn't have extra money somehow for that person. And there was never no such thing as not enough room in his house. And I think often of my grandfather, of Papa, and it's important for me that his life and his legacy and his faith are remembered. And that's not always an easy thing to do. For one thing, in the midst of all of my kind of deconstruction and taking apart the faith of my childhood and, and kind of realizing some of, their, some of these practices are bad, that's hard for me because my papa was somebody that gave me a legacy of faith and I have inherited so much from his godly example, from the way that he taught the Bible and instilled in his family those things. Even in the way that he sang in the church choir, there are still some songs, some old, you know, Baptist hymns that I love to sing because they remind me of my grandfather. And whenever we sing the love of God, I can still hear his booming bass voice singing that chorus. And I want to remember him, and there's power in that. But it's also not necessary to remember everything. And even in ways that Maybe my faith tradition has let me down. I have found kind of a peace about going, I don't have to remember everything. And I don't mean whitewashing history. I don't mean pretending that he was a perfect man. I don't mean any of this stuff. I just mean saying we don't have to remember everything. How do I know that? Well, let's go back to the passage. If you look at Hebrews chapter 10, in all of this way, you know, these ways that we're meant to remember our sins, 
Jesus does away with the old system. In all of this, Jesus is better than anyone or anything we could ever possibly worship. And the reason why Jesus is better and he ushers in this new system better than this old system. And he tells us, you know, look at at verse 9. He replaces this old system with his newer, better one. And I, I love the way that the, the Bible will frequently have this kind of, this is how you were, but Christ. Verses 10, verses 12, it shows us this idea. But when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. In all of these things, Jesus is saying, you know what? It might be time to not remember your sins anymore. This annual reminder of your need for atonement, we don't need to do that anymore because I have given you atonement once for all time. It is good. And the author goes on to quote the new covenant promised by the prophet Jeremiah in Jeremiah chapter 31. This is coming at a time right after Uh, God has, through the prophet Jeremiah, pronounced a judgment that they will be sent into exile, that they will spend decades and a couple generations away from Judah, away from Jerusalem. And as a way of encouragement, God gives this promise, I'm going to establish a new covenant that's coming. And part of this new covenant is that I will remember their sins no more. How cool is that? That instead of remembering our sins every single year, God promises, I am going to remember them no more. I myself, declares God, will forget them. And this act of remembrance is replacing one thing with something new. And Jesus does that. Jesus replaces the memory of our sins with the memory of his atoning sacrifice. Isn't that amazing that God who created the universe and everything in it, he knows how many hairs there are on your head. He knows the cattle on a thousand hills. He knows everything. And he says, these sins that you have worked so hard to year after year, remember, remind yourselves of, forget about it. I will remember their sins no more. All throughout the Old Testament and especially through the prophets, there is this echo of this promise of the new covenant that's coming. Just one example from Micah chapter 7. Who is a God like you, pardoning iniquity and passing over transgression for the remnant of his inheritance? He does not retain his anger forever because he delights in his steadfast love. He will again have compassion on us. He will tread our iniquities underfoot, and he will cast our sins into the depths of the sea. This same God who gives instruction to remember your sins year after year, he also makes a promise that I'm going to forget those sins. That when a good, perfect, permanent, once for all, good for all time, atoning sacrifice comes that he himself provides... I'm going to cast those sins behind my back into the sea to be remembered no more. And you might ask, when is this new covenant coming in? When does this new covenant get ushered in? It's on the very night 
that Jesus was betrayed the night before he died, the night before he shed his blood, he told them. And if you're wondering that word remembrance that the author uses in chapter 10, the other two spots, you might have already guessed it. One is in Luke 22 during the Last Supper, and the other was read a few moments ago by Dave. When Paul, in his letter to the Corinthian church, is remembering this time and using this thing that Jesus himself says, this thing that you are remembering, let's forget about that, and I want you to remember something new. When he said, and he said, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, also, he took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Jesus replaces the memory of our sins with the memory of his atoning sacrifice. He is taking this thing and he is saying, I want you to remember your sins no more because I am remembering your sins no more. That's why in addition to taking the bread and the cup and remembering, we practice baptism. It is a symbol of you coming back to life. Not just like I was sick and now I'm better. I was dead and now I'm alive. And we're going to do that in a couple of weeks. And I encourage you, if God has made you alive, if God has said to you, your sins are covered, I will remember them no more. Come back to life. If you have experienced that and you have never done this process of baptism, let me encourage you. Sign up, talk to me, talk to Kevin. We would love to talk to you about what that is and why we do that and practice that here. Jesus replaces the memory of our sins with the memory of his atoning sacrifice. So what? Our so what comes right at the very end of this passage where he says, where there is forgiveness of these, there is no longer any offering for sin. And what we need to do is we ourselves need to acknowledge where God has forgotten our sins and we too need to remember them no more. And instead of remembering our sins, remember Christ's atoning sacrifice for us. That's what we do every time we take the bread and the cup. And in your own life, when you bring an offering here, when you sing a song, when you give money, when you serve, just like God is challenging the people through Isaiah to say, check yourself. Maybe that offering is an abomination to me because your heart is not in the right place. Ask yourself why you are doing that. And let me tell you, there is not one dollar you could ever give to this church that will atone your sins. There is not one minute you could volunteer anywhere that will atone for your sins. There is nothing that you can do. You know why? It's already been done. Jesus is wanting you to remember that. And so check yourself whenever you come in and to ask, is this just performative? Where is my heart? Because God doesn't want the song, he wants your heart. 
And the second thing that I will say is, sometimes we feel like we have to help God with our atonement. Sometimes we feel like, yes, God, I know that you have forgiven me for this thing, but I need to help you out at least a little bit, so I'm going to feel guilty for a while about this. Stop doing that. In all of the ways that you think, I am going to help God atone for my sin by feeling guilty, that's worthless and stupid, and you got to stop it. Stop trying to help God for your sins by feeling a little guilty. And the third thing, and this is where I want to get really practical, and I want to this week, for you guys in all of these tokens of remembrance, I want you to look for ways that you can remember what Christ has done for you instead of remembering your sins. I love that almost everyone in here can quote to me one of the earliest articulations of doctrine in the church the Apostles' Creed. You know why? We sung it a few minutes ago. We put it to music, and it makes it a lot easier to remember. In the same way that my wife remembers that phone number because we put words and actions to it. Remember using poems and songs and trinkets, and maybe you wear a piece of jewelry. Maybe you wear a cross. Let that remind you, your sins are no more. Jesus has covered them. Whatever it takes, find ways, tokens, poems, rhymes, songs, whatever, to help you remember what is true. And here's where I think of my grandfather again. I think of my papa. And he did this all the time. He would have these poems, these little rhymes, these little sayings that he would do. And he was a great, tremendous man of faith. And he cared deeply that his family would know God. And early on in their marriage, which lasted almost 60 years, he presented my grandmother with a Bible. And in its flyleaf, he had written a little poem. And every single Bible that she had, she would cut it out and she transferred it from Bible to Bible until the day she died. And all of my uh, aunts and uncles and my father, they all knew this and they saw this and they saw it. And this was the poem that he wrote for my grandmother in this Bible that he presented her with. He said, to you, Lucille, my darling wife, I pledge this book to guide your life. May you, as the years go passing by, more and more on this book rely. And if I pass before you do, I'll be at the gate waiting for you. And he signed it, your loving husband, Kasi. And perhaps by now some of you have guessed how I have decided to try and remember my grandfather every single day of my life. I named my oldest son after him, Because I wanted to remember his legacy, not because he was some perfect hero, but because he was a saint in the way that God declares us to be saints. Because I want a life that looks like his, and I want to be reminded of it. And today as we remember, this week as we remember, let me encourage you to find those tokens of remembrance 
those ways that you can remember that God has already covered your sin. Stop remembering those because Jesus replaces the memory of our sins with the memory of his atoning sacrifice. God, we thank you so much for all that you have done, for all the ways that you have taken these shadows, these practices, these rituals, these things from long ago, and use them all to point to your son, Jesus. Use them to point to the ways that you, our loving Father, have rescued us. And God, we pray that we would remember, that we would remember well, that every time we come together, we would remember what you have done for us. That every time we take the bread and the cup, we remember you have washed away our sins. You have cast them behind your back into the depths of the sea because of your loving kindness, because of your great compassion and love and mercy toward us. And Father, especially this week, as we hear the word remembrance, I pray that we would remember all that you have done for us and that it would cause us to live in such a way that makes others know who you are, that makes others ask questions about our faith, that makes others say what a great and awesome and mighty God she, he must serve. And I pray that it would be all for your glory to build your kingdom and to lift high the name of Jesus. Amen, Jesus. Amen.